Welcome to Foresight Friday Roundup, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. Welcome to a special edition of our Foresight Friday Roundup podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about ACA state-based marketplaces, or do you still say ACA state health insurance exchanges? They're the same thing. So if I accidentally say exchanges instead of marketplaces, don't text me. I won't respond. The open enrollment period for ACA plans started on November 1st and runs through January 15th for next year. Let's look at some of the numbers. The number of health insurance companies selling ACA plans through the marketplaces jumped to 213 next year from 181 this year. The average number of qualified health plans available to each enrollee jumped to 108 in 2022 from 61 this year. And with all that jumping, i.e. more competition, comes lower prices. The average monthly premium for a benchmark plan will drop by 3% next year compared with this year. To tell us what's happening, why it's happening, and what it means for the future are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Rosemarie Day, founder and CEO of Day Health Strategies. Rosemarie helped launch the first state-run marketplace in the U.S., and that was in Massachusetts. Hi, Dave. Hi, Rosemarie. Thank you for joining us today. Dave, any opening remarks before we dig into our topic? Well, I'm very excited, Dave. This is our first ever special edition of the Roundup, and I'm delighted it's with Rosemarie Day. She knows more about state-based marketplaces than anybody else I know. That's great, Dave. Thank you. Uh, Rosemarie, how about you? Any opening thoughts before we open the door on these ACA marketplaces? Well, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for the kind words, Dave. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of state-based marketplaces, and I feel like they've been the unsung heroes of health reform. So I am pleased we were able to talk about them some more here today. That's great. Thank you. Now, the two of you co-authored a two-part series called State-Based Marketplaces 2.0. Let's talk about part one of the series the coming expansion in access, affordability, and value. Dave, the uh, 2.0 in your headline implies that we'll see the next generation of state-based marketplaces in 2022. What is new about marketplaces next year? Well, it feels to me that the state-based marketplaces have reached a level of maturity that gives them a sense of permanence and momentum going forward. We're starting to see the big health insurers come back into the market-based exchanges, state-based marketplaces in a big way. Aetna's back, United's back, Cigna's back. Humana's still being a little bit stubborn, but they'll be back too. Additionally, three new states, New Mexico, Kentucky, and Maine, have come in. And that's also creating a lot of positive momentum, particularly when you look at the enrollment numbers that are going up. But what I like most about the exchanges is the variety of models. So when you look at the state-based exchanges, six states have individual mandates, five offer enhanced premiums, eight offer reinsurance, three have a public coverage option. You've got big and small states involved. You've got models for comparison shopping. Idaho lets out-of-state insurance companies offer plans as long as they're approved by the state. It's just, to me, 
exactly what the founders had in mind when they looked at states as laboratories of democracy. All this fervent and momentum going on at the individual levels and creating real progress. You know, I think when the Affordable Care Act first came out, everybody expected it to operate perfectly from the first day, but few things in life work that way. But what has happened is incrementally since, since the beginning, they've gotten better and better. Lots of movement back and forth. The big insurers got out. Now they're back in. Centene and Molina discovered that their client base, which is more focused on, on lower income Medicaid members, is, was ideally suited for some of the exchanges. So we've just seen a lot of incremental innovation and what works, what doesn't work. And as the poet Keats says, it's a thing of beauty and a joy forever. That's great, Dave. Thank you. Rosemary, how do you see marketplaces being different next year in terms of access, affordability, and value? Well, I think the biggest thing is that because we have been living through this pandemic and all, all manner of disaster has happened to our population, but the state-based exchanges and healthcare.gov, I've got to give them credit too, have been there for consumers as really what we call a critical safety net during this pandemic. So as people were losing their jobs and with losing their jobs, they're losing health insurance. These marketplaces have served exactly a function um, that we envisioned when we launched these things, them serving, that they would fill these gaps. Because, you know, up until now, so many Americans, about half of those who are insured, we rely on their employers for their insurance. But that coverage has been eroding over time. And folks saw some of that plummet in the early days of the pandemic. And the marketplaces were there to provide that safety net because people um, in the past would have had to just go out and buy insurance entirely on their own unless they were poor enough to qualify for Medicaid. And so this closes a big gap. And with the American Rescue Plan, there were some additional subsidies put forward for both the state and federal marketplaces so that the insurance being sold there was even more affordable. And so those subsidies are carrying through into this open enrollment period, which just started November 1st. And so those are folks who are signing up for health insurance who may not have gotten the message during the earlier stage of the pandemic are, are finding now that the prices are even more affordable and the marketplaces are advertising to that effect. So that's really going to amp up the enrollment for calendar uh, 2022 in, in a way that we have not seen before. That's great, Rosemary. Thank you. Dave, anything to add to Rosemary's comments? I wanted to comment on a couple of states. Being originally from Minnesota, I'm proud that my home state had the lowest benchmark premiums in the nation, $292. And that came about in part because they put reinsurance in place and dramatically drove down the rates. So congratulations to Minnesota. If you go across the state line to Wisconsin, the benchmark premium is $782, almost $500 higher. Take that, Badgers. But let's hope they figure out how to bring it down at some point. And they're part of the federal exchange and, and not supportive. So quite a contrast there for two upper Midwest states. And then lastly, I want to give a shout out to California. The biggest of the plans, 1.6 million enrollees, they put an individual mandate in place and saw a 40% rise in coverage. They pioneered expanded subsidies at 600% of the federal poverty level which the stimulus bill copied and put through uh, in form of higher subsidy levels and more for middle-income people, just like Rosemary was talking about. 
They've invested in marketing heavily. They've made it very user-friendly so that people can evaluate plans. They use behavioral economics to not overwhelm people when they're on the on the exchanges. They're very data-driven. They're focused on health equity. They force participating plans to offer equivalent products off exchange, which is good for unsubsidized enrollees. So it's really proved that markets work. And, you know, hail California, a lot of innovation coming from that state. Thanks, Dave. Now let's talk about part two of your series, Engines of Innovation, Competition, and Consumerism. Rosemary, explain to me how exchanges are checking off those three boxes. Well, I think Dave covered some of the really notable aspects in terms of innovation that we've seen. And he's giving a shout out to California, which they deserve. But I will say that the notion, um, and, and I would bundle some of those comments about California as I would call them an active purchaser. So it's not just a let the free market reign, but it's like, who is our customer and how do we serve them the best? And we know that consumers get incredibly confused by health insurance selection process. Ask any employer that has to run that process every year and constantly trying to simplify what's a really complex endeavor. Well, the exchanges have that same challenge. And when you are an active purchaser, you're curating who gets to sell insurance and what they get to sell on your marketplace so that you have the consumer and their needs in mind, that you you have an apples to apples comparison, you level the playing field, and you don't let insurers throw in crazy gimmicks and stuff that can kind of distract from the core purchase. And I think that that is where, especially state-based marketplaces, um, have the opportunity to shine. We pioneered that in Massachusetts, and it's great to see the largest state-based exchange doing, the, doing something very similar. They put their own stamp on it, and that's really my next Next point is that, you know, every state in this great, huge country of ours has unique aspects from its politics to the makeup of its health insurance marketplace and everything in between. And what's, I think, a beautiful thing about the state-based marketplaces is that they can really tailor things, whether it's the marketing message or which insurers they decide to offer or which products, all of that can be really tailored to their citizens because they're close to who who they're serving. And so again, it can be very consumer focused. So it's encouraging competition, but in that kind of structured way. And I call that again, being an active purchaser. And I think the best state-based marketplaces are doing just that. Gotta love active purchasers. Thanks, Rosemary. Dave, tell me how exchanges are uniquely qualified to be the engines of innovation, competition, and consumerism. And how will what the exchanges do spill over into the uh, commercial health insurance market? Like Rosemary was saying, when it works, the federal state model is a beautiful thing to behold. And California is an example of balancing market forces with appropriate intervention, regulation, activist investing. It's got, you know, not too hot, not too cold. So you get products that consumers want and need presented in a marketplace where the prices are clear and value can rise to the top. So, you know, federal funding and standards, state design and administration, not one size fits all, constant improvement. It really, really is an ideal model. And it's too bad that we struggle so often because of our bigger picture politics to understand the beauty of this innovation that can occur with a federal overlay and state-based execution. 
and I wanted to give the audience a feel for what a program could be like. When the exchanges first came to Illinois, and Illinois does not run a, a state-based exchange, they're off the federal exchange, but we had an insurer, Harkin, that was offering plans here, and we enrolled our housekeeper, and it was a full-risk program and they enrolled her, took detailed medical history. She received a, a primary care physician, a nurse practitioner, and a health coach. She was at that center all the time, learning how to cook healthy meals, take yoga classes. And over the course of the time she was enrolled in the plan, really grew to, to trust her caregivers on the other side and dramatically improved her health. So I think we can see the exchanges because they are ultimately full risk coming down and offering the type of holistic care that ultimately is going to transform U.S. healthcare from the bottom up. And finally, the last thing I'll say, because you asked about spilling over into the commercial markets, what I'd really like to see is less spilling over and more spilling in. And what I mean by that, I'd like to see these state-based exchanges grow much bigger and more robust and include Medicare Advantage, for example, being able to purchase Medicare Advantage plans on the exchanges. Also, with one sign of the pen, the president could change the way that corporations offer insurance benefits and allow their employees to take the money that they receive for healthcare benefits and purchase plans on the exchange. And to the extent they have anything left over, that would be taxable income to the employee. And I can't think of anything more that would turbocharge value creation in the United States if we unleash the American consumer to go on well-run exchanges with appropriate alternatives and let them choose the plans that meet the federal standards but are tailored to their individual wants, needs, and desires. So I'd like to see the exchanges get a whole lot bigger. Interesting. Put MA plans into the marketplaces. Interesting. Why not? <laughs> Good question. Thanks, Dave. Rosemary, maybe you could answer that question. Anything to add to Dave's comments? <laughs> well, I shared Dave's aspirations for bigger state-based exchanges. Uh, we thought about that a lot when we were building the first one in Massachusetts. And you've got to get the thing launched and working and credible for your your core constituency. But, but from there, um, and, and I, I appreciate Dave's comments, they have reached a, a maturity level now and you know, serving as that critical safety net during the pandemic, which has been one of the most devastating things our country's experienced, they've stood the test of time. They can be nimble and they could do more. And so again, going back to the point that as employers are less and less enamored of offering insurance coverage, could they instead, you know, do that equivalent of the voucher and let folks go and shop on the exchange and stop tying the notion of where you get your insurance so much to your job and begin, you know, carefully because it frightens Americans to think there'd be big change in that regard, but start giving them the option of going to their state-based exchange and making their selection and then not having the fear of what happens, you know, when they lose their job or if they want to change jobs and do something entrepreneurial, for example, that doesn't come with the health insurance, they'll be familiar with going to the exchange. And you could even start, I mean, yes, Medicare Advantage, you could also start with student health insurance, which is a thing in many states. So you could really almost have the cradle to grave <laughs> presence. That would, that's the aspiration I would see. Thanks, Rosemary. That's a great segue into our last question. And we'll wrap up with that one. And that is what's the biggest barrier 
two marketplaces reaching the nirvana that you've described and how will they overcome that barrier? Well, I guess it's really two questions. So Rosemary, would your answer be fear of change? <laughs> well, I think it's that there are so many discontinuities depending on how your health insurance is funded, whether it's coming from your employer, it's coming out of your own pocket, or the government's covering something, whether you're Medicaid, Medicare. And every time you switch categories, or you know, even if you're in a job and you switch jobs, you go to a different employer, they offer different things, and you kind of start over. And so I would love to smooth out some of those discontinuities. You know, this is this is very big picture, but starting even with um, when babies are born, automatically enrolling them in some form of health insurance coverage and then going from there so that you it just starts to be a given that you have coverage in this country. I mean, I aspire to universal health care and you have to eliminate some of these disruptions in signing up and then losing it and then trying to re-sign up. And that's a barrier for the exchanges because they can't control all of those start and stops. Got it. That's a bold vision. Thanks, Rosemary. Dave, how about you? What's the biggest barrier to reaching this utopia we've all talked about today? I think it's politics. There is enormous irony generally in American history and, you know, double down when it comes to health care. So the model for what we call Obamacare was Romney care in Massachusetts. And I believe Governor Romney was proud of being able to bring Republicans and Democrats together to create a market-based solution. And yet when he ran for president in 2016, he backpedaled so fiercely that you couldn't even imagine that he was associated with the original exchange. And so I made a little fun of Wisconsin earlier where their benchmark premium is $782, I think. And the reason for that is the Republican legislature in Wisconsin wants nothing to do with the Democratic health care proposal. So they have done absolutely nothing to support the exchange in the state and the people are paying a price. So if we could somehow drain the emotion out of the health care debate and focus on costs, outcome, customer experience, the things that really matter in markets, I think exchanges could take off. They're the perfect bipartisan solution, and they're completely consistent with American values and the way we function as a country. But right now, despite the success, and there's been a lot of successes we've talked about, we still have this fundamental political block to really taking it to the next level. Thanks, Dave. And thank you again, Rosemary. Great discussion. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topic we discussed, date-based marketplaces, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com and download the two-part series by Dave and Rosemary. I think it's essential reading. You also can find a recording of this podcast and all our podcasts on the Healthcare Now radio network, iTunes, Spotify, and other streaming services. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.